I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Ishers, it's Jamie. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I hope you're all staying healthy during this pandemic. I've found some solace catching up on some of my favorite podcasts while staying home during this time. I hope you all do the same. I want to thank Susan C., Julie G., and Hannah for becoming Patreon supporters. Thank you all so much. I'll have some goodies out to you soon. Before we get into this case, I want to warn you that in this episode, I will discuss in detail alleged sexual assault. I also make mention of alleged animal abuse, although I don't go into detail. Now, let's get into the case. On January 16th of 2018, a 911 call came in reporting that someone had been shot at a home in Stevenson, Alabama. As of today, there is still ongoing debate regarding whether the shooter is a murderer or a victim. Join me as I walk you through the highly debated case involving Brittany Smith. takes us to Stevenson, Alabama, a quaint town that is part of Jackson County. Stevenson is a town where residents all seem to know one another. The town is home to certain historic landmarks relating to the Civil War, like Fort Harker, 
a military defensive wall constructed by the Union Army during the American Civil War. While the national average household income is approximately $61,000, the average annual household income in Stevenson, Alabama is about half that amount. Considered to be safer than 52% of U.S. cities, the crime rate in Stevenson is 39% lower than the national average. In January of 2018, however, someone would be killed and the details surrounding the killing are still being debated today. On Tuesday, January 16th of 2018, a 911 call came in reporting that a man had been shot inside a home in Stevenson, Alabama. The woman who made the call, Brittany Smith, was crying and saying she didn't want the man to die. About 30 minutes later, police arrived and entered the home where Brittany lived. She told police officers that the man who was shot had physically and sexually assaulted her. Chris McCauley, Brittany's brother, was also in the home when police arrived. Both Chris and Brittany told police that Chris had been the one who shot the man, who was quickly identified as being Joshua Todd Smith. Joshua, who went by Todd, coincidentally shared the same last name as Brittany, although they're not related. Chris and Brittany told police that Chris and Todd had gotten into a physical altercation and that Chris shot Todd in self-defense. Todd Smith was pronounced dead at the scene. After learning that Chris had shot and killed Todd, police arrested Chris and transported him to the Jackson County Jail. While in custody, Chris was ordered to remove all of his clothing to allow for evidentiary photos to be taken. Although Chris told the officers that he and Todd had gotten into a fight, no physical exam was conducted to uncover whether Chris had sustained injuries from the alleged fight. Brittany was taken to a local hospital where physical and sexual assault exams were conducted on her. The exams uncovered scrapes and bruises all over Brittany's body. Numerous bruises were found on her pelvis, arms and legs, breasts, and on her neck. Notes from the exams indicated that Brittany showed signs of being strangled and that she had been held down. Also noted in the report were bite marks found on Brittany's chin and neck as well as petechia in her eyes, or small red or brown colored dots that can be an indication of strangulation. The sexual assault exam uncovered secretions in Brittany's vagina, as well as on her neck. These findings would be tested at a later date. The day after Todd was shot and killed, Brittany had something new to tell police. She now told them that she had been the one who shot Todd, not Chris, and that she had asked her brother to wipe down the gun afterward in order to get rid of fingerprints. She went on to tell them the details of how things unfolded the night she shot Todd. After telling police her account of what happened, Brittany was arrested and charged with Todd's murder. Initially, Brittany's bond was set too high for her mother, Ramona, to bail her out of jail. After being incarcerated for several days, Brittany suffered a nervous breakdown. She believed the breakdown was caused by a withdrawal from Xanax, which she had been prescribed and was taking prior to her arrest. Both Chris and Brittany eventually went in front of a grand jury for their admitted involvement in Todd's death. A grand jury indicted Chris on charges of tampering with evidence and making a false police report for wiping down the gun and falsely telling police that he had shot Todd. 
The grand jury, however, chose not to indict him for Todd's murder. In March of 2018, two months after Todd Smith was killed, a grand jury indicted Brittany Smith for his murder. After her indictment, Brittany's bail was reduced to $100,000, which allowed Ramona to bail her out of jail the following month. Ramona was able to find two people to put their houses up as collateral. Although Brittany was free, the murder charge and trial still loomed over her head. Joshua Todd Smith, who went by Todd, was born on March 11th of 1979. At the time of his death, Todd lived in Jasper, Tennessee, not far from the Tennessee-Alabama border. Todd was very close with his cousin, Jeff Poe, who was an admitted drug dealer. Poe said that after high school, Todd got into taking opioids and meth and that he was to blame for his cousin's addiction to hard drugs. Poe has also said that Todd enjoyed fighting. Between 1999 and 2018, Todd had been arrested 71 times for various crimes, including assaults against his father, Jimmy. At one point, Jimmy got an order of protection against his son because Todd had attacked him on more than one occasion. When it came time for court hearings, however, Jimmy would be a no-show, and the cases against his son were often dismissed. Todd's violence against his father finally caught up with him when in 2002, he was sentenced to serve seven months in jail for assaulting him. After his release from jail, Todd was ordered to be on probation for four years. He was also ordered to attend anger management courses and undergo alcohol treatment. According to Elizabeth Flock's 2020 article in The New Yorker, Jasper County Police Chief Billy Mason responded to numerous calls reporting that Todd had been violent toward his father and multiple women. In 2002, Todd got married to a woman named Paige Parker. According to Flock's article, Paige Parker said about Todd, two weeks after I was married to him, he had broke my nose. I couldn't see straight. I was sitting there crying to myself for a second. And I'm like, I am a strong person. But I was like, why was this happening? Paige said the abuse from Todd escalated when he reportedly broke her ribs and her jaw. She went on to say about Todd, I was also beaten and raped and sodomized for years by this man. I know what Brittany went through that night because I went through it for years. Referring to the night that Brittany was allegedly sexually assaulted by Todd and subsequently shot and killed him. During the less than one year he was married to Paige, Todd received five domestic violence charges, yet he served no jail time. Paige said that after she filed for divorce, Todd used duct tape to bind her to a chair and then told her he would throw her in the Tennessee River. In 2004, Paige filed for and received a protection order against Todd. During his relationship with a woman named Amanda Reed, Todd fathered a child. This relationship was also violent as Todd was charged three times for domestic assault against his child's mother. Amanda, however, did not appear in court, which resulted in two of the cases against Todd being dropped. A dispatcher at the Stevenson Police Department reported in 2009 that on one day, Todd began flirting with her. According to her report, when she didn't flirt back, Todd became enraged 
forced her up against a desk and attempted to rip her shirt off. Fortunately, someone walked in as this was happening and Todd backed off. Among Todd's numerous arrests, charges included assault, domestic violence, drugs, shoplifting, trespassing, and vandalism. At the time of his death, Todd had been living with his parents and was mostly unemployed, earning some money doing various projects around the house and breeding pit bulls. Todd Smith and Brittany Smith attended the same high school, although not at the same time as Todd was eight years older than her. The two knew each other, but they didn't run in the same circles. After Brittany's relationship with her husband ended in late 2017, she wanted to get a dog. During a search on Facebook, Brittany became aware that Todd was breeding pit bulls and had puppies available for sale. In January of 2018, she sent Todd a Facebook message regarding the puppies, and the two of them exchanged messages for a few days. In his messages, Todd told Brittany that he was interested in her in a romantic way, but Brittany did not reciprocate. On January 15th, Ramona McCauley, Brittany's mother, gave her a ride to Todd's house in Jasper, Tennessee, to see the puppies. Brittany purchased a female puppy from Todd and named her Athena. The next day, January 16th, Brittany's brother, Chris, drove her to a job interview. While they were driving, Brittany received a call from Todd. He told her he needed a ride because he was outside in the cold at a park in Jasper and that there was nobody else who could help him. At the time, Brittany had no idea that Todd's father, Jimmy, had just thrown him out of the house for assaulting him once again. She only knew that it was freezing outside and that Todd had nowhere to go. Chris told his sister that it wasn't a good idea to give Todd a ride. He knew that Todd had feelings for Brittany and that she was not interested in him that way. Chris had a bad feeling about the dilemma. According to Elizabeth Flock's 2020 article in The New Yorker, Chris later said, I just had a feeling that something was going to happen. Brittany, concerned about Todd being out in the freezing weather, convinced her brother to pick him up. When they picked him up, Brittany told Todd that he could stay the night at her house and sleep on the couch. Todd Smith would be dead just hours later. If cats could talk, they'd probably say exactly what's on their mind. I imagine my friend's cat saying, it's my world and you just live in it. But seriously, wouldn't it be nice if cats could tell us when something's wrong? Cats are notorious for hiding their illness, but with Pretty Litter's health-detecting formula, there are no secrets. Get this, Pretty Litter has developed a litter that changes colors to indicate early signs of potential medical issues like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. As far as the nasty dust your current litter kicks up, Pretty Litter is almost dust-free. And it weighs so much less than other litters, making it so much easier to transport from your car to the house. What I love about Pretty Litter is that it detects potential illnesses, smells better than other litters, and well, it's pretty. Pretty Litter is shipped right to your door for free. Do what my friend did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code MURDERISH for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code MURDERISH for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code MURDERISH. 
I recently found a more convenient way to get counseling. BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, and LGBTQ matters. The best part is that you can connect with your counselor from the comfort of your own home. And of course, anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp makes counseling so easy and convenient. You can do secure phone sessions or chat with your counselor by text. If you want to switch counselors for any reason, you can do so at no charge. BetterHelp is a convenient and affordable option for anyone seeking counseling. Murderish listeners can get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash murderish and entering promo code murderish. That's betterhelp.com slash murderish and use promo code murderish for 10% off your first month. time she shot and killed Todd Smith, Brittany Smith was 30 years old and the mother of three children. A few years prior to the shooting, Brittany's grandmother passed away. Less than a year later, Brittany's youngest baby died. These traumas threw Brittany into drug addiction, specifically methamphetamine. With her life in a tailspin, Brittany was arrested and spent two weeks incarcerated. In 2013, Brittany's three oldest children were removed from her custody. In January of 2018, the month of the shooting, Brittany was newly separated from her husband and her three children were living with their great uncle. By this time, Brittany had been drug-free for quite some time and was working hard to regain custody of her children. Things were looking up for Brittany. She had just secured a job with a flooring company where she was going to earn more money than she ever had in the past. While Brittany's life had taken a turn for the better, things were about to change drastically. Brittany's desire to have a dog and subsequently connecting with Todd on Facebook would forever change the trajectory of her life. After Brittany shot Todd and claimed that he sexually assaulted her, she was examined by a sexual assault nurse examiner named Janine Suerman. After the exam concluded, Suerman said that she was not able to confirm whether Brittany had been raped. Suerman would later testify that it's often difficult to determine whether someone has been raped, as physical proof such as DNA, genital, or anal trauma is not always present. Although Suerman could not say with certainty that Brittany was raped, other evidence would come to light indicating that a violent physical altercation had occurred. Angela Fletcher, a forensic biologist for the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences, tested Brittany's rape kit for evidence. Fletcher concluded that no semen was present and that Todd Smith was excluded from mostly all of the evidence collected. Bed sheets, a comforter, and a pillowcase from Brittany's bed were also tested for evidence. On the bed linens, Bodily fluids from at least two people were found. Neither of the fluids were from Brittany, and neither could be linked to Todd. The pajamas that Brittany wore the night of the shooting were tested, and a mixture of fluids from Brittany and another person, a male, were found. Tests concluded that the male fluid did not come from Todd. It's possible that the male contributor was Brittany's husband, from whom she had recently separated. 
In an exam of Brittany's body, a secretion was discovered on her neck. That secretion was found to be from Todd Smith. Unlike other states, Alabama does not have a statewide system whereby public defenders are assigned to defendants. Instead, Alabama assigns private attorneys to defendants. Many of these private attorneys are thought to be underpaid and overloaded with cases. Many believe these factors incentivize the private defense attorneys to push their clients into accepting plea deals rather than taking their cases to trial. Defense attorney James Mick was assigned to defend Brittany after her indictment for murder. Mick, whose cases mostly involved crimes such as burglary, drug offenses, and civil matters, did not have much experience trying murder cases. According to Brittany, initially, Mick encouraged her to plead guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter, which would carry a sentence ranging from 2 to 20 years. Brittany refused the plea deal, telling Mick she was defending herself when she shot Todd. She told Mick she wanted to take the case to trial, and she wanted him to enter a stand-your-ground defense on her behalf. The Stand Your Ground law, which was enacted in Alabama in 2006, allows a person to defend themselves and a third person if they reasonably believe that another person is using or about to use unlawful physical force on them or a third person. The law, however, is fairly broad, but does provide some examples of instances that do and do not apply. For example, the law states that a person can use deadly force to defend themselves and a third person if they reasonably believe that another person is using or about to use physical force against the occupant of a dwelling while attempting to commit robbery, kidnapping, assault, forcible rape, or forcible sodomy. The law, however, states that a person is not allowed to use deadly force against a person if that person had the right to be in that dwelling or is a resident of that dwelling. James Mick, following Brittany's request, initially filed a stand-your-ground defense on her behalf. However, a few months later, in October of 2018, Mick changed gears and entered a not-guilty plea by reason of insanity. Brittany claimed that Mick entered this plea without consulting her, a claim that Mick denies. It is widely known in the legal community that entering a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity sets a very high bar in terms of a defendant proving their case. After entering the insanity plea, Mick requested from the judge to have Brittany evaluated by a state psychologist in order to determine her competency to stand trial. In December of 2018, a judge granted Mick's motion for Brittany to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. During the evaluation, Brittany claimed that the state psychologist mocked her as she described to him how Todd mimicked her voice as he was raping her. According to a 2019 Crown City News article, during the session, Brittany became upset with the psychologist for mocking her, and she began to curse at him. The psychologist made note of Brittany's behavior, writing in his report that she was ill at ease and hostile. After the shooting, Brittany believed that Todd's family was after her. When she shared these feelings with the psychologist, he noted in his report that Brittany seemed to be having trouble differentiating between fantasy and reality, according to a 2019 Crown City News article. That said, after the shooting, 
Todd's cousin, Jeff Poe, had said publicly that he contemplated having someone kill Brittany. Brittany and her mother, Ramona, also spoke about a time when a man confronted them and said he was related to Todd. The man told Brittany he just wanted her to know that he had his eye on her. At Brittany's hearing to determine her competency to stand trial, the state psychologist's evaluation findings were submitted. Based on the psychologist's conclusions, in February of 2019, Circuit Court Judge Jennifer Holt ruled that Brittany Smith was not competent to stand trial. Following the judge's ruling, a pretrial hearing was held where District Attorney Jason Pierce questioned Brittany regarding the day she shot and killed Todd Smith. During his questioning of Brittany, D.A. Pierce zeroed in on her statements to the 911 operator, as well as her answers on a questionnaire she had completed at the rape center. During the 911 call, D.A. Pierce said that Brittany told the operator she had not been raped. Pierce also called out that on the rape center questionnaire, Brittany checked the unsure box next to the question asking if she had been raped. According to a 2020 New Yorker article by Elizabeth Flock, Pierce asked Brittany, You told me you had been raped, but you told the 911 operator that you had not. Why would you answer unsure if you had been raped? Brittany responded saying that she did not recall placing the 911 call or completing any forms at the rape center. She went on to say that she was afraid and felt shame, which is why she didn't want to say at first that she had been raped. Forensic biologist Angela Fletcher testified for the state at the pretrial hearing. Fletcher said on the stand that although fluids were found on Brittany's bedsheets, Todd was not a contributor. Fletcher also testified, however, that Todd was a contributor to a secretion found on Brittany's body. After the shooting and alleged rape, a laboratory indicated that no material was found under Brittany's fingernails. On the witness stand, the forensic biologist testified that initially a mistake was made and that an internal review later found that material was in fact found under Brittany's fingernails. At the hearing, both the state and the defense agreed that the material should be sent in for testing, a process that typically takes up to three months before a result is received. D.A. Pierce asked the judge to have Brittany admitted to Bryce State Mental Hospital in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The mental hospital is set up to treat the most serious cases of mental illness. Pierce argued that Brittany's act of shooting Todd may have derived from one of the delusions from which the state psychologist indicated she suffered, according to a 2020 New Yorker article by Elizabeth Flock. The state psychologist also concluded that Brittany suffered from some form of mental illness or defect and was at risk of harming herself due to that mental illness or defect. Based on the psychologist's conclusions, Judge Holt granted the state's request and ordered Brittany to be admitted to Bryce Hospital for a period of three months during which time her mental state would be evaluated and she would receive treatment in an effort to achieve competency to stand trial. Although Brittany was ordered to undergo treatment at the hospital, no patients could be admitted due to lack of beds. Given this, she was taken back to the Jackson County Jail and placed on medical lockdown, which meant she spent 23 hours a day inside of her jail cell. After the shooting, Brittany suffered from PTSD and was prescribed medication to treat it. In jail, however, 
No medication was given. Instead of her medication, Brittany was given women's one-a-day vitamins. Brittany spent about a month incarcerated at the Jackson County Jail before beds became available at the hospital. At that time, she was admitted to the hospital and began her three-month-long treatment and evaluation. Six months later, however, Brittany was still admitted at the hospital. When her mother called to ask why her daughter had not been released from the hospital after three months, she was told that they had an excessive number of patients, which caused a backlog. In September of 2019, Brittany had finally completed her evaluation and treatment and was released from the hospital. Ramona invited her daughter to live with her as she was unemployed and had no money to support herself. A month after her release from the hospital, the prosecution presented Brittany with a plea deal. If accepted, the deal carried a 25-year prison sentence. Brittany refused the deal again, saying that she killed Todd in self-defense. With that, Brittany's Stand Your Ground defense hearing was scheduled for January of 2020. Have you ever been frustrated by the high cost of auto repairs? I have, but I found a solution. Endurance offers total auto protection and an auto advocate who will get the lowest price available for your repairs. Endurance is currently offering their elite membership with every subscription. And with that, you'll get a personal concierge, key fob replacement, tire repair, and 24 seven roadside assistance. How's that for peace of mind? Rated number one vehicle protection plan by Consumer Affairs, you cannot go wrong with Endurance. Protect yourself from high auto repair costs now with Endurance. For more information about Endurance's vehicle protection plans, visit endurancenow.com murderish. That's endurancenow.com murderish. One more time, that's endurancenow.com murderish. Imagine for a moment it's the year 2010. You leave your high-paying job at a blue-chip software company, come home, and do the same thing you've done now for weeks. You go to the medicine cabinet and take four to five painkillers from your cancer-stricken wife's never-ending supply, crush them up into a powder, and wash it down with a tumbler of vodka. It didn't used to be this way, and it's about to get much, much worse. This is the story of Robert B., and he tells it on the powerful new podcast, Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. Each week, host Mike S. interviews and unravels stories of people who fell down and have managed to get back up again. Subscribe and listen. A link to the website is included in today's show notes. On January 14th, Brittany's defense team presented a stand-your-ground defense over a two-day period. The crux of their defense was that Todd Smith was using deadly force on Brittany's brother and was going to use it on her. They argued that based on the Stand Your Ground law, because Brittany believed that Todd was going to kill her and her brother, she was within her rights to use deadly force. They pointed out that Chris was struggling to breathe and that his lips were turning blue due to Todd's assault on him. The defense team also argued that Todd was committing burglary while he was using deadly force on Chris and about to use deadly force on Brittany. Given this, according to how the law is written in the state of Alabama, 
Brittany was within her rights to use deadly force against Todd. The defense team pointed out that Chris and Brittany ordered Todd to leave her house, and he would not comply, which meant that he had unlawfully remained in her house. The defense called to testify Janine Sewerman, the sexual assault nurse examiner, who examined Brittany after the incident. On the stand, Sewerman spoke about the 33 injuries which were found on Brittany's body. Injuries included bite marks on Brittany's neck, chin, and breasts. Also found were marks on her neck that appeared to be handprints, marks on her inner thighs, injuries to her legs, arms, feet, and chest, broken blood vessels in her eyes, often caused by strangulation, a broken fingernail, as well as a report from Brittany that she was having difficulty swallowing and felt tremendous pain in her jaw. According to a 2020 New Yorker article by Elizabeth Flock, Sorman said about Brittany on the stand, I think she was probably hit multiple times and held down in some areas, and that the wounds appeared to be from being bitten, strangled with two hands around the neck, and that Brittany appeared to be assaulted with a lot of force. Sorman also testified that confusion and memory loss are common effects of trauma after being sexually assaulted. Brittany had told D.A. Pierce that she didn't recall placing the 911 call or completing a questionnaire at the rape clinic. Sorman said on the stand that compared to other exams she's conducted for sexual assault victims, Brittany's injuries were extensive. As she had concluded in her exam report, Sorman testified that she could not confirm whether Brittany had been raped as no DNA or genital trauma was present. She said that that is often the case in rape occurrences. Sorman said that Brittany told her that she had woken up after being strangled by Todd, naked, and that she was laying in a puddle of her own urine. Sorman's testimony lasted for over two hours. When she was finished, Todd's cousin, Jeff Poe, was crying as he left the courtroom. Although Poe had previously admitted that he considered having Brittany killed, he now wanted to offer her an apology. Poe approached Elizabeth Flock of The New Yorker, who'd been reporting extensively on the case, and asked her to apologize to Brittany and her family on his behalf. According to Elizabeth Flock's 2020 New Yorker article, Poe said after hearing Sorman's testimony, for all this mess they have been through, it put me in a sick state of mind listening to all that today. I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart. Paige Painter, the cashier at the Mapco store from where Brittany bought cigarettes for Todd, also testified at the hearing. On the stand, Paige said that she observed red marks on Brittany's neck, what appeared to be blood on her cheek, and a broken fingernail. She said it appeared that Brittany had been in a fight with someone, and that she asked her what happened. She testified about Brittany writing Todd's name on a piece of paper, and that if she was found dead, Todd was the one who did it. The note was presented as evidence and shown in court. Brittany Smith took the stand at her defense hearing and walked the court through what happened the day she shot and killed Todd. Brittany said on the stand that her brother, Chris, agreed against his better judgment to pick Todd up after he called asking for a ride. She said they picked Todd up in Jasper, Tennessee, and that Chris dropped Todd and her off at her house. Chris then went home. Brittany said that she and Todd discussed their issues with drug addiction, and Todd admitted that he was still struggling with meth addiction. Being that Brittany had been sober for quite some time, she told Todd that he needed to get his priorities in order. 
At that time, according to Brittany, Todd's demeanor changed, and he asked if she believed she was better than him. Brittany said that Todd asked her why she didn't feel the same way about him as he did about her. Brittany answered by saying she just didn't see him in that way. This is when, according to Brittany, Todd became enraged, according to a 2020 New Yorker article by Elizabeth Flock. He called her a bitch and then headbutted her. Brittany was able to get up, run to her bedroom, and close the door. But Todd broke in and forced her onto the bed. Brittany said that Todd began strangling her and she lost consciousness. When she awoke, Brittany said that she had no clothes on and that she had urinated on herself. She said Todd was putting a lot of pressure on her throat as he raped her. According to Flock's article, she tried to say to him, we're friends, but her voice was gone. Brittany said that at that time, Todd began mocking her, saying, we're friends, don't say a fucking word or I'll kill you. Brittany said she fought back and scratched him, causing one of her fingernails to come off. She said they both fell off of the bed and onto the floor, at which time Todd began strangling her again. She said she passed out a second time, and when she woke up, Todd was raping her again. According to Elizabeth Flock's article, Brittany said about the incident, Then I woke back up and let him finish what he was doing, and his whole face changed, and he was normal. Brittany said that Todd threatened that if she told anyone about what happened, he'd kill her and everyone she cared for, including her brother, her mom, and her children. After the sexual assaults, Brittany said that Todd told her he needed cigarettes. Given that she didn't have a car, Brittany said that she told Todd she would call her mother to drive them to the store. Brittany said Todd controlled the situation and held the phone while she called her mom for a ride. Brittany's mother, Ramona, later said that she believed during the phone call that something might be wrong just by the tone of her daughter's voice. After the phone call, Ramona asked her son Chris to pick Brittany and Todd up and drive them to a nearby store, which Chris did. When they arrived at the store, Brittany went inside for cigarettes while Chris and Todd remained in the car. Brittany said there was a police officer in the store at the time she went inside but she didn't say anything to him, as she feared Todd would follow through on his threats against her and her family. Paige Painter, the store cashier, knew Brittany because she was a frequent customer at the store. Brittany said that when Paige asked her what happened, she requested a piece of paper. On the piece of paper, Brittany said she wrote Todd's name down and wrote that he had raped and beaten her, and that if she was found dead the next morning, it was Todd who killed her. Brittany said she asked Paige not to call the police out of fear of Todd. After the exchange with Paige, Brittany said she got back into her brother's car and the three of them went back to her house. During the drive, Brittany said she sent a text to her mom asking her to contact Paige at the store that she had just left. When they arrived back at her house, Brittany said she told her brother he needed to go back to the store as the cashier wanted to speak with him. She said Chris left the house and went back to the store as she had told him to do. Meanwhile, after receiving the text from her daughter, Ramona called Paige at the store and found out that Brittany was in trouble. When Chris arrived at the store and found out from Paige what happened, he decided to drive straight to his sister's house to confront Todd. Chris had with him a 22 caliber handgun, which he was legally allowed to carry. 
When Chris arrived at Brittany's house, he entered the kitchen and immediately asked Todd what was going on. Brittany, who was in the living room at the time, said she heard a gunshot and then what sounded like her brother and Todd arguing, during which Chris yelled at Todd to get out of his sister's house. At that time, Brittany said she entered the kitchen and saw her brother's gun sitting on the island. She said Chris and Todd were fighting and she tried to get them to stop while yelling at Todd to leave her house. The fight continued and Todd was able to get Chris into a headlock, causing him to turn blue, according to Brittany. She said she picked up her brother's gun and told Todd to leave her house again, but he didn't. Brittany said she was crying by this time as Todd continued strangling her brother. That's when, according to Brittany, she pleaded with her brother to move out of the way and said she was going to shoot Todd. She said she pulled the trigger twice, but the men were still fighting. Then, she pulled the trigger a third time, causing both of the men to fall to the ground. At first, Brittany thought she shot her brother, but he quickly announced to her that he was okay. Brittany initially thought that she had shot Todd three times. It was later discovered that she shot him four times. At this time, Chris took the gun from his sister, and Brittany said she then called 911. During the 911 call, Brittany was upset, and she could be heard pleading for help and asking the operator to get someone to the house right away, saying, I don't want this man to die. I don't know what to do, according to a 2020 article in The Appeal by Lauren Gill. Brittany said that she and her brother performed CPR on Todd until help arrived, and that she tried to stop the bleeding by pressing a towel against Todd's wound. On the stand, D.A. Pierce pointed out to Brittany that Todd did not have any weapons at the time she shot him, to which Brittany responded, but he has his hands, his penis, his mouth. Did you see the 33 wounds on my body? Given Todd's well-documented violent past, Brittany's defense team attempted to enter into evidence testimony from witnesses who spoke about violent encounters they had had with Todd. D.A. Pierce, however, was successful in getting testimony from these witnesses thrown out. The absence of one particular witness at Brittany's hearing did not go unnoticed. For unknown reasons, Brittany's brother, Chris McCauley, did not testify at his sister's stand-your-ground defense hearing. The prosecution presented a case based on the theory that Todd had not raped Brittany, arguing that semen could not be linked to him. They argued this even though the sexual assault nurse examiner testified that a secretion found on Brittany's body was linked to Todd. Karen Hart Valencia from the Alabama State Crime Lab testified regarding Todd's toxicology report. Valencia said that at the time he was shot, Todd's screening showed that in his system, he had 840 nanograms of meth per milliliter of blood. She testified that this was a very high level of meth, and this could have been the reason why the first shot did not seem to phase Todd. Brittany had previously said that nothing happened after she fired the first two shots. Valencia also said on the stand that people can become aggressive and more likely to get into a fight when they're high on meth. When the hearing concluded, both sides waited anxiously for the judge's ruling. If Brittany's attorneys were successful in arguing the stand-your-ground defense, the murder charge against Brittany would not stick 
and the state would likely drop their case. On Monday, January 20th of 2020, Circuit Court Judge Jennifer C. Holt made her ruling. In a 19-page order, Judge Holt stated, among other reasons, that Brittany Smith failed to prove that she was justified in using deadly force against Todd Smith. With that, she dismissed the defense's motion for immunity from criminal prosecution. In her ruling, Judge Holt indicated that not even Chris McCauley believed that deadly force was necessary, pointing out that he had put his gun down and fought with Todd instead of shooting him. According to a 2020 article in The Appeal by Lauren Gill, the judge further pointed out that although Janine Sorman had testified that Brittany's injuries were consistent with physical assault, they did not reflect sexual assault. The judge also pointed to the fact that no genital trauma was found on Brittany as a reason for her ruling. This, even though Janine Sorman had testified that oftentimes no genital trauma is found after someone has been raped. Judge Holt also wrote in her order that Brittany trapped Todd in the kitchen, armed with a gun, and gave him no way to escape. The judge also called into question the fact that Brittany had not alerted a police officer at the Mapco store that she was in danger. Although she was disappointed, Brittany had been preparing herself for bad news after the hearing concluded. According to a 2020 Rolling Stone article by Brenna Ehrlich, Brittany said about the ruling, I was prepared for a no, but I just feel like I'm not going to get a fair trial here. The judge saw pictures of me. He almost beat me to death. He did rape me, and he tried to kill my brother, so how can she say this? Brittany may have been aware of staggering statistics regarding domestic violence against women in Jackson County and the perception that police don't take these instances seriously. Elizabeth Flock, who authored two investigative articles on Brittany's case for The New Yorker, interviewed many women in Jackson County. Nearly all of the women whom she interviewed reported being victims of domestic abuse. In many of these cases, the women had not reported the assaults to law enforcement out of fear that nothing would be done to help them. According to a victim's advocate with whom Flock spoke, Reports of domestic violence by women are often not even acknowledged by police. As part of her investigation into the issue, Flock also interviewed Jackson County Sheriff Chuck Phillips, who had an entirely different take on the subject, saying that domestic violence was not common in Jackson County. On the contrary, the Violence Policy Center, an organization that analyzes data sent to the FBI, reported that from 2000 to 2010, the state of Alabama ranked among the highest places where a woman is more likely to be murdered by a man. Interestingly, in 2011, Alabama stopped reporting this data to the FBI for analysis. Since the incident happened, both Brittany and her brother Chris have struggled to find employment. Their names have been widely reported as being associated with Todd Smith's murder. Both have said they suffer from nightmares and waking up in the middle of the night screaming. The case has also put a significant damper on Brittany's efforts to win back custody of her three children. According to a 2020 New Yorker article by Elizabeth Flock, Todd's ex-wife, Paige Parker, who had previously sympathized with Brittany, now claims that Brittany is taking her story of violence and using it as her own, implying that Brittany is not telling the truth. Shortly after Todd was killed, 
Paige had taken part in a rally in support of Britney. For unknown reasons, her opinion of Britney has drastically changed. When Flock asked Paige about the 33 injuries found on Britney's body, Paige responded, yeah, well, that could be from rough sex. Britney's defense team announced that they would be filing an appeal. Depending on whether the appeal makes its way up to the Alabama State Supreme Court, the appeals process could take years to reach a conclusion. Today, Britney Smith is free on bail while she awaits the appeals process to run its course. It's possible she will not go on trial for Todd's murder for several years. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Head over to the Murderish Facebook discussion group where we can talk about this case. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. If you like the show, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening now and tell a friend about Murderish. I'd love for you to leave the show a review in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like more information about the show or me, go to Murderish.com. On the website, you can sign up to support Murderish through Patreon and have some of your dollars donated to the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. We made a donation a few months ago. The website also has a link to buy Murderish t-shirts and other merchandise. That's Murderish.com. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John and Jessica Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched by Steve Field and written by me. In order to tell true crime stories on the show, information is gathered from various sources including, but not limited to, news articles, newspaper archives, blogs, social media, TV productions, police reports, court records, books, magazine articles, direct interviews, and more. I recognize that oftentimes someone before me put in a lot of time and effort to gather information I draw from to help tell these stories. Thank you to those individuals for their hard work. Sources for this episode can be found at Murderish.com. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.